Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I'm here with none other than the pinky flare himself. (laughs) Hello, hello. Kyle. Kyle Kingsbury, everyone. Um, Here at the Honored Academy, we actually did a great podcast yesterday specific for for Onnit. And then now today we're going to do a Knock On Podcast because... High five. High five. We got a new archery guru in the making right here what do you think i think i'm i almost got my white belt <laughs> you literally <laughs> got your going, gi yesterday yeah <laughs> first gi it's pretty cool i, was, I t- called my old man afterwards and i was like it's basically like if hicks and gracie pulled me aside and said hey we're gonna roll for a few hours i'll teach you what this thing jujitsu is and then i'll give you your gi i'm gonna hook you up with the right <laughs> gi i'll get you fitted out for the right gi yeah, you're the perfect you're there's so many good people for archery right now that are like wanting to try this. So I'm dedicating as much of my time as I can to take advantage of every one of you guys. You're going to be great for the sport. You bring so much to the table um on a ton of different levels, but I feel like this is going to be the perfect balance for you and part of the reason I feel that way is because you're going to probably be one of the few people that I can relate the most to because of your size. You and I are pretty similar in height, I think. Are you 6'4", 6'5"? Just about 6'4". Okay. Just about. A little under. You're, you got more mass than me. You're bigger. Thank you. Um, so I feel like a little, little wimp. Uh, but what you're going to like about it is this is going to be, because of everything that you've done prior has been so much about, like, power i mean between your mma career and i'll let you get into that in a minute mma football you're freaking lifting you work out with like total beasts here i mean you get to work out with uh, there's probably more names than i even know i saw a picture of you with tim kennedy looks like you guys just freaking you probably broke a building down for your workout i don't know but this is going to be the leg day shot that broke the internet <laughs> dude <laughs> i believe it yeah you've got some thunderous stumps in here like uh, I'm my, some Andy stumps. I had to, yeah, some Andy stumps. I had to hide mine today. I put jeans on because I'm like I'm not worthy walking around with these freaking calves. There's like, looks like a freaking road map veins freaking going all leading into your promised Look land. You. I know where you're looking. Leading right into your big <laughs> fanny pack. See how far they go up. They're going they go right all in, the way up. Right into that fanny pack. They're there. pumping. <laughs> <laughs> but this is gonna be this is gonna be your yin and yang, man. This is. I think that's what you're going to like about it. I don't, I mean, we're not longtime friends, but what I think you're going to start to um, to appreciate about it is this is going to be kind of the, the stress relief. This is going to be the calm of the storm. You know, there's times where, you know, you want to go out and put on some freaking hardcore music and you want to just Hulk smash, but then your balance is talking about last night with my wife on the massage table (laughs) probably okay yeah is that massage (laughs) table yeah flat to the table (laughs) flat to the ground this morning um but this is going to be your balance this is going to be where you're actually able to just like when yoga you know good instructors a lot of times have you check in right 
for me, archery was always my way of checking in um, because when I'm not shooting good, there's tension somewhere, there's distraction somewhere, there's stress somewhere. So to be able to find that place where you're able to get in a zone and just shoot at a level where it's exceeds what you ever thought you have, it'll like give you a whole new goal. You know, you're gonna all of a sudden create these, these like pedestals that you're gonna wanna step on. And sometimes they're really tough because sometimes there's just one small thing that's not clicking, small, one small disruption in your life that's not letting you truly focus on putting this arrow where you want it to go. And it'll, you know, it'll be frustrating because you're used to just being able to grab something and, you know, <laughs> throw someone, you know, put your leg where you want and just throw some hips into it and make it happen. And, uh, Aubrey's assistant. Yeah. Is that what we're referring to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fucking poor, poor little kid came in. He's like, hi, Kyle. Happy birthday. And he's like, hey, brother. <laughs> Kyle grabs him, freaking does the whole leg whip. He almost puts... broke his ankle earlier in a soccer game like a week ago. Dude was in a boot. So that was the leg that I tripped on. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I've done that a couple times. I've had a, actually, there's a guy in archery that my followers will know. His name's Kevin Wilkie. One time Kevin and I were at the ATA show and we were tearing down the Hoyt booth and because there was nothing but carpet left, Kevin kind of grabbed a hold of me and he's like, come on, let's wrestle. And I'm not, I'm not a wrestler. I've wrestled. I've been on wrestling teams, but I'm not a wrestler. But Kevin's also much smaller than me. So I'm just like freaking wrist control and get this sucker to the ground and wrap him up with these daddy long legs of mine. That was my strategy. So I kind of, He's a scrappy guy. He's got a lot of brothers, and he's scrawny, but he's one of those ones where, you know. Wiry strength. Yeah, he's got wiry strength, and he told me about all these fights him and his brother used to have when his parents would um, buy a box of cereal on a fri- like on a Friday when it was payday. He said that box of cereal in his house was like a pot of gold. Like whoever could get that freaking <laughs> box of Lucky Charms and eat it the fastest. Eat all the charms before. <laughs> yeah, exactly, before the rest <laughs> of the brothers got the luckies. And uh, so, no, I ended up kind of tossing him to the ground, and I kind of wrapped him up with my legs, and I'm like, all right, tap out. And then I ended up hurting something in his neck. But I wasn't like being— How long did it take for you to get his pants down? Maybe 15 seconds. It was pretty oh, okay. solid. Yeah, it, was a, it was a first-round right. knockdown. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty good for a guy that, that isn't a wrestler. But I immediately felt terrible because I thought, that was stupid. You're twice his size. Like, I should have been nicer to poor little Kevin. That's what was going through my mind when you grabbed Aubrey's assistant and (laughs) freaking leg-tossed him (laughs) his poor ankle. He's like, now he's walking around like Captain Jack Sparrow, freaking limping around the office. (laughs) Um, Well, let's get back on track to archery. So I think – I really think this is going to be something that allows you to – to kind of find your happy place and and check into something that is more mind you know more about focusing and controlling your mind more immediately I, I had to picture happy gilmore find your happy place yeah with uh the the little person on a tricycle and uh the hot chick pouring <laughs> pouring alcohol from pitchers yep <laughs> yeah yeah the, shooter mcgavin comes in and it's no longer his happy place yeah starts tongue and grandma uh-huh yeah yeah that could happen pretty fast as soon as you as soon as you shoot an arrow into the red <laughs> that's pretty much when someone starts making out with your grandma that's what it feels like you'll want to keep it 
keep it in the middle. Um, but yesterday we started you out with a string and also started them out with an air bow. Um, this is something that was made years ago. They don't make them anymore. Um, I actually have like a, a piston so that you can shoot without actually having to fire arrows. And it's also very light, the, the bow. It's a training bow. Um, it's actually a Matthews Genesis Pro. The reason I like it is because I can quickly move the draw stop to different draw lengths. So like if there was someone else that I was working with in there at the same time as you, I could just change a draw length really mm. quick. Um, and then I've got this piston on there, which allows me to teach you like the release aid. We walk through simple steps, pretty much just fundamentals. Um, I kind of this morning I started thinking we should call them fundamentals because it's like foundation and fundamentals together. I think every sport almost has those, where if you miss out on those the very very basics and you don't ingrain those simple basics to start with, you almost just you become loose down the road. Like you you know that's like the simplest of things. It's like just you know, if you put something together that's in a package, you know, say you get a freaking grill and you put it together and you finger tighten every single screw on there, well, you move it around a little bit, next thing you know, shit starts falling off. And it's the same way, I think, in sport. You know, you have to you have to build that foundation and you have to crank down and you got to tighten down all those little bitty things that are just holding the whole system together and then the system's stronger and you can move it around you can make adjustments you can cook different things on it or whatever but if you haven't screwed down those basics to begin with then the wheels end up coming off so we worked with the string worked with the air bow um, both of them were different the string pretty much allowed me to teach you hand position on the grip and also hand position on the release aid then the actual bow with the air piston on there allowed me to to manipulate you posture wise without him trying to hold back a 70 pound bow so for those of you listening as a teacher it allows me to you know you're able to raise up draw back and i can make adjustments to you and you're not trying to hold 70 pounds back it's a lot easier to move you around when you're not holding a lot of dynamic weight but what was um what were some of the first things that kind of went through your heads positive and negative well there was a lot you know and like just like a, you know making the white belt reference there's so many so much translation to when you're first starting out in jiu-jitsu or, or anything where you have to really iron out the basics and i think especially when it comes to something like archery the less variables you know you have the easier it's going to be. And then ultimately, if that's ingrained, it's less shit I have to think about while I'm doing it, right? And so just, just getting my feet, knowing where to place my feet under my hips, you know, big toe of the lead leg, a little bit more open, but right at the ball of my rear foot, yep. just things like that, you know, and then staying, finding my center of gravity. And, and thankfully from doing striking and things like that in mixed martial arts, I kind of know where that is pretty, pretty well. Yeah. But keep like small things like even keeping the bow right in front of me, raising it up in line, packing the shoulder down but not back. Those are great tips. And then something I really had to focus on was having that soft elbow. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of wanting to just shove that thing out there. And you talked about, you know, hyperextending the jab. You know, people, you know, when they're first starting out. And my left elbow was, <laughs> I thought it was ruined my first year in MMA just from doing that. You know, not turning the hand over and not staying loose with it. 
Is it because you're like you're trying to be so rigid on the jab that yeah, and instead of like there's a flow to it, you know, right, like okay. I pop it out. It's 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 a feeler sometimes. It can also be a power shot, but there's there's turnover with that hand. So the thumb position plays a lot of role in if I'm gonna hyperextend my elbow or not. Yep. And that made perfect sense. If I try to do a vertical fist punch like Bruce Lee or Jack Dempsey, yeah. that works in close, but it definitely doesn't work as I close range. At full extension, you start to hyperextend the elbow. Yeah. This is important because one of the things um, I like asking you because then it gives me things to talk about that I take for granted a lot. And one of the things is as a new archer, if you're holding your bow at full draw, your thumb is at a position. I really prefer it to be at like a 45 degree angle. And the reason I like that is because it allows the elbow to be soft. It's not bent to where you're putting load on the tricep or you start to put load on the deltoid, um, you know, as the shoulder comes back, but it, it's soft. It allows, you know, you have a slight cushion there. You can absorb the bow going forward and you can also hold a little bit of the pressure of it pulling back. But the more you turn the thumb vertically, the more you start to actually hyperextend the elbow. And this is a big problem with new archers and also kids because a lot of kids that are trying to hold too much weight, and especially when they're trying to hold still, you can hold steadier by hyperextending the arm because you're locking it out. And we've got uh, we've got some people in here, so don't mind the background noise. But um, if you're if you're completely locked out, you're gonna feel like you're steadier, but in all fairness, you're, there's other problems that are gonna become more prominent in the future. One of the things with kids, because their joints are still in a developing stage, um, some kids start to develop like a rainbow where you know, just from constantly hyperextending that front arm, the joint starts to hyperextend to where it starts to build a bit of an arc in in the front. Um, It's common with coaches that really focus on numbers of arrows that kids have to shoot. Like, you know, some of the, some of the foreign like Olympic style coaches in their junior programs, they just have these, instead of tailoring individual programs to individual shooters, according to how they're shooting that day or whatever, I've, I've worked with kids where the coaches are just giving them this calendar. And it, the calendar says, Monday, you shoot 400 arrows. Tuesday, you shoot 300 arrows. Wednesday, you're shooting 500 arrows. And it's just, it's all it about sounds these. sounds Russian. Yeah, it's just all about these numbers. And what happens is when a kid is possibly overtrained, they, you know, to try to hold steady. And we actually watched a guy doing this yesterday in the range. You remember when I told you it was at, yeah, it was an older guy. He was shooting a recurve. He was probably shooting a recurve that he paid a lot of money for, and he probably wasn't shooting very much. So his muscles were not able to hold that weight with him holding proper posture. So his posture was breaking down so that he was literally packing like bone on bone to try to support the weight of this thing and he wasn't able to pull through the bow properly because his front shoulder was collapsing at such a rate to where it was just literally it was a fully straight arm because he's trying to be steady and he's trying to pull but as he's pulling with his bicep and his lap more than the right spot the front shoulder is just compressing and compressing and pressing against his neck and it just got to the point where the front shoulders noticeably four or five inches above the rear shoulder and above the front hand and it's just a form breakdown. So you have to be able to, 
have that front thumb at like a 45 degree angle, which allows the front elbow to be pointing down literally opposite of where the thumb is. So your thumb would be pointing towards about two o'clock on a clock, whereas, you know, your elbow is going to be pointing at about eight o'clock on a clock, you know, as as we have the, the clock come around. Aubrey's in the house. <laughs> Aubrey just came in. It's going to be a big archery day here for for all the people. See, I've got the new Aubrey Marcus freaking AM collection yep, hoodie yep, on. AM collection hoodie on. Um, but no, th- that's a really, really important s- small fundamental. Because as you turn that thumb up, you also start to then, not only are you hyperextending the elbow, you start to cross that grip to the opposite side of you know your palm. We talked about the lifeline in your hand and how you want the grip to have the majority of the pressure right where the thumb connects into your wrist. Um, you don't want the grip going across to the bottom side of your palm because you're gonna start to create torque into the bow. And also, if you do that, it means your thumb is more vertical, so the elbow is gonna be hyperextended. And as the thumb becomes more vertical, the thumb also pushes on the top of the riser. So a lot of people, their bows start to lean to the left because the, the little bitty pressure of their thumb is actually pushing on that riser and, and causing it to lean a little bit to the left. So, I mean, it's easy for me to say this is why I want, you know, I want thumb at two o'clock, I want elbow soft. Um, that's simple, but these are all problems that eventually can you know end up happening and uh, and for a lot of people you might start out and all this is right and you might you're probably going to shoot good for you know a few days and then all of a sudden you'll just naturally start to do things that maybe you're not thinking about just because you don't have someone there teaching you and that's what's for you it's going to be good because you can send me a picture and say hey here's you know five or six shots let me know what's going on and these are all things that i can literally micro analyze in and just zoom in on and just say okay you know and i'll probably notice it because i see the elbow a little bit hyperextended. i'll say okay well it's not just the elbow there's other things connecting to that so then i can zoom in on the hand and all of a sudden see the hand position is crossing across and things like that so that was good in relation to the grip. The other thing for you was just how much pressure on the grip. That's one thing that you're going to struggle with because you're used to having hand control, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big part of what you do. You don't want to just hold another guy's hand lightly, you know, because he's, he's going to do something with <laughs> the it. Limp wrist. Yeah, I mean, it, I assume that's one of the things I remember from wrestling is you know, if you got a hold of someone's wrist right above their hand, that's a good position to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want them to have hand control. Um, but with archery, allowing your bone structure to support that bow at a full draw position is going to be way more repeatable, and it's also going to it's going to move around less because sometimes you might have a full death grip, sometimes you'll have less of a death grip, and the more change you have in your hand pressure the more torque or or twist that you can put on that riser and what's important about that which you don't know yet because you didn't have a sight on the bow but your sight um, is essentially extended out in front of the bow so as your hand changes you actually swing that sight 
left or right. And that sight is an aiming device. So if sometimes you're aiming with this device and it's center because everything's relaxed, and then the next time you turn, you're essentially turning it off the target and you're not gonna know that. So you're gonna move the whole bow over and you're gonna compensate. But in all fairness, you know, you're gonna be missing because you're actually aiming off the target. You just don't know it. And it's because you're torquing the bow and your front little pin is gonna be moving with your torque. So you're gonna compensate, you know? Mm. And so you're essentially aiming off the target. You just don't know it. So, you know, you might be like, well, shit that one was freaking eight inches left when all fairness it went right where it should because you know even if you're aiming in the middle if you've torqued it that much to where you've aimed eight inches off and didn't know it then the arrow really hit where it should but to you not knowing you're not going to understand like i torqued the handle that time it is off the target but in all fairness it was a good shot which brings me to another point and that's um learning to judge and critique how you're shooting based off one execution more than anything like remembering these fundamentals and starting to appreciate um which yesterday i filmed you probably four or five shots and i said out of those four this is a good one like and i showed you the difference like this one you kind of quit this one you know you kind of squeezed ma- with the hand yeah you made the hand yeah so once you learn like what your 10 is based on just technique, like that's what you strive for. And if you can go in and say, you know, I shot for an hour and I made, I made a, I shot good for an hour. Even if your groups aren't necessarily the best, a lot of times that stuff will work itself out. But learning the difference between what a good shot feels like and what a good shot or a bad shot feels like, that understanding will take you a lot further in archery than than critiquing how you do based on paper. Like, you know, that's one thing I would really like to stress to you is don't let paper be the judge of how you're shooting. Um, the paper, that always, if, you know, we talked about your focus being behind the line, and this is something that we can get into but uh, you got to the point where you're shooting really, really good. So I took you to the next step, which was really simple of, okay, use the end of your stabilizer and just kind of point it at something that you want to hit and then just pretend that's your aiming device and do everything the same. Just kind of take the end of your stabilizer and point it towards that bullseye. Just focus on that. And then what happened? It took me like four times as long. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And why? Why was that? Because uh, I was paying attention to the target instead of paying attention to behind the line. Yep. You know, instead of going through each step systematically of where my body, how it should feel and what that motion looks like and, and just following those steps, you know, the, the centering is the last thing, you know, so really not worrying about that shit until I get my body in the right position and everything feels right, then take a look and, and pull through. When it came to... Um that aiming aspect was there anything that i because i gave you a couple different references of different ways the mind kind of thinks as you're trying to aim at something or cover something up is there anything that stood out that really yeah big time be comfortable in the center you know there's this there's this idea and i have this uh from handgun shooting you know too but that that idea that you know the the subconscious is always going to try to verify 
Like you, you're you're locked onto the bullseye, and then it moves slightly off just to take a peek. Oh, it's yeah. still there, and then it moves slightly back. So just knowing that movement's okay. You know, I'm mm. never going to be 100% fixed on something. So just to be in a state of allowing that to move and to have confidence in that, trust in that, but really being more mindful of my own body rather than having to have this thing stuck in one place. Yep. Yeah. It's um, it's a constant battle with archers because they know if their pin is in the middle, then that's where the arrow's going to go. But the problem is most people don't realize that it's better to have your pin in the vicinity for a, a longer period of time than in the exact spot for just a per second or a moment in time. Because if you start to think about that's my moment where it's dead center in the very, very center of the X, you're going to start to feel a need to make the shot happen at that moment, which probably for you as a fighter, I would assume when you see an opening, like you're trying to, it's not like those openings for a punch is going to be there for long periods of time, right? So you're like used to, to seeing that bullseye wherever it is on the guy's face and you you need to like seize that. Yeah, right? there is, there's definitely a go aspect where you see the opening and it's go now. And yep. then there's also that, hey, he's doing this. I mean, my, my teammate Dana Cormier, when he fought John Jones last time, he kept slipping his head off to one side when he'd throw a punch. And they, they kept correcting for it, telling John Jones that in between rounds. He comes out and then knowing he's going to slip his head off, throws the head kick, gets the knockout. Yeah. Right? So there are, there are some things where it plays on both sides of that, and I yeah. think that's why it's easier for me to trust, like, hey, it's going to be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, okay, so we talked about your your uh, kind of your hand position, your elbow position. Then what would be next? What are some other things? Well, I like this this similar draw each time where I take it out away from my body, and then I pull my fingers into place along the jawline. Yeah. So I'm lining up in the same spot each time. Touching the nose, um, but not tucking my chin or pulling my body out of position to get into position. Mm -hmm. That was big because it's very easy for me to want to force myself into the right spot instead of just being comfortable in the pocket and lining everything up nice and easy. Because you talked about the relation when I I'd, I'd talked to you a little bit about head position. I said, I'm okay with your head pivoting, like your head can pivot. But I don't want like you taking your head out in front of your shoulder, or I don't want your head. You know, some people lean way back with their head, or tuck the chin way down to get my nose to touch. Yeah, yeah, and I and how the bow fits. A lot of that is going to be you know how far you have to tip your head forward to get to the string. That's a lot of that has to do with bow fit. Yours was this bow was a little short for us, um, but yeah, I think um, a lot of people make that mistake too. See. One of the things that's a benefit for you is I don't think you're really that worried about hitting yourself in the face. <laughs> so, like, when I just said, yeah, if you don't have your finger on the trigger, you might, or on the safety as you draw back, because he's shooting a silver back. Um, I said, as you have your thumb on the safety, you have to draw back with the button pressed down, or if you let the bow down, like, if you don't shoot, you have to press down. I said, otherwise, you're going you're gonna to hit yourself in the face. Most people give me this look at that moment where they're like, what I'm gonna hit myself in the face like you were just like oh okay like, like I do that a lot no big deal <laughs> but um having the trust of raising your bow and pointing your bow at the target and then drawing 
your hand directly in line almost with where you want to anchor. A lot of people start to draw their hand below that line. You know, if you raise your bow straight up at the target and if you're aiming level, your front hand, your front shoulders, they're all in a line. Your release hand should essentially draw back in that same line. Otherwise, you know, it's an inefficient movement to try to pull down because then you're pointing your bow up because, I mean, the bow, the string isn't a noodle. Like, it's not, a, it's not a bungee cord. The string can go forward or back. But, you know, the both of the cams are working at the exact same time as it pulls back. So it's not like you can pull down low and it, you know, and they both let up at different speeds. It's the same. So it, it has to pull back in a straight line. So if you are going to use a lot of bicep, and deltoid to pull that bow back and you kind of throw your hip forward and bring that arm down the front arm has to come up because it's essentially a straight line wherever that straight line is it has to go forward the you know the riser goes forward the string comes back in a straight line so having the ability to lift the bow arm up have that shoulder packed down the front hand is literally pointing the bow level right to the target you want to shoot and then your release hand is drawing back in the same horizontal plane as what the front bow hand is and it draws until you know you're kind of drawn as close to the side of your face as you can until that bow stops and once it stops you're kind of lifting that elbow and moving that release hand up to the anchor position and as you do that you also transfer you kind of transfer the load into the correct position of the rhomboid on the back which is what we use to pull that through that bow once we let off the safety um, and you were doing really really good at that you know drawing back there were a few times where your elbow was drawing you know your hand would be level with the front hand you both your hands would be parallel but the rear elbow would be down then this I is have a, to force it up in a position late and it's harder than, too yeah, isn't it much harder yeah it just it didn't it didn't feel like i could find the right spot if i had to do it after the fact if i yeah. pulled back with the elbow nice and high and then brought my hand on my cheek or to the chin rather you know then everything felt in alignment there's a very tiny adjustment getting that rhomboid to fire where i'd pull everything into place yep it's like night and day difference yeah and i like things like that where it's palpable it's not like i'm guessing oh is this right it's like you feel a difference you feel a difference in how you finish too oh yeah yeah how you once once you actually the shot activates once that release breaks and you're in your natural follow-through state they're two completely different shots. When that elbow isn't in the right position, the direction of that release hand or even how far that release hand can travel, um, there's polar opposites when it's in the correct position and when it's not. Some of the lines that I look for are the release hand. I like to see that release hand forearm to pretty much be parallel with the front bow arm. That's what I'm looking at. People that start to drop that elbow, that line starts to go down. So it almost, you know, you kind of have this from the from your release hand, if you imagine the tip of your elbow and your release hand, if that's below your shoulder, then the line of your forearm is almost angling up to your face. And because it's angling up, it's pretty much telling you that as you try to pull, 
your elbow is only going to pull down. You're almost doing like a lat pull at that, you know, at that moment rather, you know, or almost like, you know, almost row, like yeah. a, a row rather than pulling through. So there's a lot of little things that make a big difference. One of the things that you're going to have a big advantage over a lot of new archers is you're in tune with your body and you're in tune with muscle groups. You're in tune with, uh, you know, where you're, I guess, what your body's doing from one shot to the next. Is it recording? Yeah, I just wanted to double check on it's that. It's like the worst paranoia. Anyone who does video I, <laughs> or podcast, you're like, are we recording? I lost the first 30 minutes in my third <laughs> interview with uh, Jesse Burdick, and I just looked down because on these Zooms, you got to hit play and record at the same time. Maybe on the, on the H4 only. This is an H6. It might be different. But yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> he, he just started dying laughing. He knew immediately. Yeah. Well, um, you're – ability to be in tune with your body is going to it's you're going to have an advantage just from that aspect because a lot of people don't like they don't um understand one they don't understand anatomy you know like if I worked with someone like when I worked with Rogan I was able to just literally call out muscle groups like right now you're using lower lat. I don't want lower lat. I want it to come up higher. I, you know, I don't mind rear delt, but I want that transfer into center rhomboid. He like, he gets it. Like he understands those terminologies. Um, and they're, they're important because it's no different than, you know, if you, if someone's trying to teach you how to, how to do a bench press, but yet you're, Freaking, you know, using, I don't even well. well yeah, if elbows out. It's yeah, a perfect example. Yeah. I use this in fighting all the time. If you ever see somebody fight on the street and they throw one of these haymakers, their elbows out, right? You have a loss of power. Yeah. Like Kelly Sturette says, you're bleeding power, right? So if you see like a, a good power lifter bench, their elbows are in. That's yeah. how you get the lats to pull down, pack the shoulder. There's yeah. less chance of injury there. They're not going elbows flared like some guy at 24-hour fitness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think all that's going to be a big advantage for you. Now, one thing I want to do now, well, one thing we haven't done that we need to do is give a little background, especially before we get into these questions. Um, give a little bit of your background so that people out there understand the validity of the information that you know that you give not only on your let me, podcast let me hype myself <laughs> yeah hype yourself up pump yourself up Let's no because i want to tackle a couple of things first i'll tackle the the knowledge background and in the sports career and then i'll also tackle why i want to get into this because i was getting a lot of questions uh, from your fans on Facebook Live last night about that like, oh cool dude why are you wanting to get in archery now you know okay so, well yeah let's hear um it. lifelong athlete started football at 10 uh played football at Arizona State University uh, when I was done, started in mixed martial arts and uh, fought in the UFC after being on the Ultimate Fighter Season 8. Fought eight years professional, six in the UFC, couple fight of the nights, uh, three 30-second, under 30-second knockouts, some good some good stuff. Also got the crap beat out of me many times. And uh, for the amount of money I was making, just, just wasn't <laughs> worth it. So <laughs> I can um, agree. But, you know, in that process uh, – Learned quite a bit about health and wellness, diet, nutrition, 
fasting supplements. And then, you know, when I retired, really wanted to focus on how can I heal my brain and my body from all this damage that it's taken. So focused more on longevity than performance, as a lot of guys do as they get older. Um, and a lot on cognitive enhancement through nootropics, uh, supplementation, fasting can really help, cold therapy, you know, Wim Hof method, things like that, just anything that would help improve uh, my body and my overall health and recovery. And um, that included meditation, a lot of things like that. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I never really could sit in a dark, quiet room, you know, and then mm. over time I became, as I became good at that, I also found things like Tai Chi where this, there's this movement practice where you breathe through movement, Qigong, things like that. And then I had heard, you know, my father is the oldest of five. Him and his two brothers would always go bow hunting, you know, when I was a kid. And they'd bring back backstrap and talk about how awesome it is and the connection to the animal and being in nature and something I always wanted to get into, but never really was a focus for me as a pro athlete. And, um, uh, I had heard Rogan talking about this years ago, you know, and how there is this really primal quality to it, but also a meditative aspect, you know, and they talk about this in Stealing Fire with Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel, excellent book, All on Flow States. And they'll, they go from the use of psychedelics to big wave surfing with Laird Hamilton and, and you know, jumping out of you know, wingsuit shit like Andy Stump does, you know, where you, you if your life's on the line, you're pretty much got to be tuned in because mm-hmm. one, if you're thinking about stuff, you're, you're not, you're in a reaction state. That's where you're going to get well, hurt. Well, it's a right? dangerous place to be in yeah. with those. I mean, like, you know, you look at something like Laird or like Shane Dorian. If you've ever seen some of the waves that sucker freaking jumps on. If he's out there, like thinking about, he can't be in his head, thinking about, about his you wife. know, the fact that, yeah, he didn't, get uh cream in his wife's starbucks coffee that morning and she's still pissed about it like that is not the time when you want to jump on a wave like that right you have yeah. to you have to be in the present 100 percent yourself yeah and there's just this in all those things and especially in archery there's a level of tuning in mm-hmm. like you it's 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 active meditation 100 percent. and they say you know in that book one of the things i loved was that all these guys that They've been mislabeled. They're not adrenaline junkies. They're addicted to flow state Hmm. because the mind is quiet. I mean, that's the goal of meditation. It's not to be Zen. It's not to learn how to fucking levitate. It's the quiet to still the mind. And we're so busy. You know, I'm a type A guy, a go, go, go kind of thing. And then the more I've adopted these ideas and brought them into practice, the greater my quality of life has come, you know, And, and in that as well, production's better. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. You know, there's a deeper peace inside. And I don't really have that ability to smash someone's face in. So that outlet's gone now, Mm -hmm. you know, and, but I I look for these things more and more. And I see this as just an awesome opportunity to, to dial in a brand new practice that can be lifelong. And, um, you know, I, I had mentioned the fact that Ben Greenfield is a buddy of ours and he invited Aubrey and I out to go hunt pigs on a big Island bow hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, I still don't have a bow. I still haven't prayed. He told me this last year. So I'm like, there's no longer, man. I'm not going to sit another one out. I want to be dialed in and I want to be able to at least participate, you know, and not be a liability on trips like that because you're getting a real hookup too, by the way. You (laughs) don't really know what you're getting, but uh, I've just, I really value 
I value good people and I value friendships. You know, I really do. And uh, so yesterday I actually went to the archery shop and picked you out. You don't even really know what this is, but um, I'm going to buy Kyle a Hoyt Ultra, um, RX-1 Ultra, because he needs it for his draw length. And, like, your first bow is going to be as cream of the crop as it can get. You know, it's going to be – you're you're not going to have anywhere to go but right where you're at <laughs> the only <laughs> thing you can get better is yourself um which i you know i want to do that as a thank you because I, I on it's changed my life 100 percent um joe joe got me connected with on it years ago at his house you know, he kind of he just gave me a thing of TPC packs. Take these pills uh, real quick. Yeah, tell me how yeah. you feel. <laughs> Actually, I think when I travel places, um, which I've done the same here, you know, when you said what do I want to eat or what do I, I've asked you, what do you get? Like, what's your routine? And even like yesterday when I was full, um, like that uh, that bone broth that we did. Mm-hmm. I was technically full at that point, but since you did it, I like, I would like to put myself in what people's routines are because I want to know. So when I was at Joe's in the morning, he's like, well, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you want? You want a coffee or whatever? And I said, what, what do you have? And he's like, well, I normally make some freaking coffee and put some grass fed butter in there. And, and I just said, do that like i want exactly what you have and then you know then he said well what do you want to eat i said what do you eat and he eats like five dozen freaking eggs and a jalapeno or something and leftover elk for breakfast so i mean i was it was way more than i normally would have ate for my breakfast but um i wanted to know kind of what his body feels like based on his full daily dietary intake and then one of the things was you know he was taking he took uh, several alpha brains before our podcast, our first podcast together, and then he also gave me some TPC packs. And so I went home, and for 15 days I took, you know, TPC morning, you know, the day pack, and then the night pack. And I tell people, I tell people constantly, one of my best friends just called me. He's like, I don't have a lot to invest. If I can buy one thing, what's the one thing that I can do to help myself, you know, just be a little bit healthier? And I just said, it's TPC packs. Because, I mean, that's the one thing that I can take everywhere. And even if I'm, like, limited on meals or if I miss meals, I feel like when it comes to vitamins and nutrients, I, like, hit my target there. But everything about on it has just made my life simpler because I feel like an easy gauge of whether or not a food or supplement product is good is how your body digests it. Like, that's just... Honestly, I remember uh, I was with this guy once, and we were talking about these atomic farts yesterday. Uh, but I was—I didn't tell you this story. I was with a buddy of mine once, and he was like totally focused on getting into shape. And he he went and bought protein powder from Walmart, and he was on this stuff. And I, I forget what, on the weight yeah, gainer. 5, I forget. 000. Yeah, I forget what brand it was, but. He told me, he said, all I do, he goes, I find someone to play racquetball super hard with for one hour a day. And he said, and I've just changed how I eat. And he said, most of my meals are these protein shakes. So I'm in a freaking racquetball court. I mean, I'm in a glass 
gas chamber. <laughs> and and he's an older guy, too. He was in his 50s at the time. Yeah, crusty old farts. And he dropped this freaking EAS protein fart in this racquetball and we were right in the middle of a match i mean it was close so i'm not like willing to lose (laughs) this match so i'm just in there and i'm like i said dude i'm like surely you smell that he's like oh yeah he's like they're bad they're real bad and i said is that not like does that not tell you that your body can't do anything with that like to me when that's happening your body is telling you, I don't know what this is. This is genetically made to where I don't really, like, we're going to get it out of here. Like, we, we're we like, okay, there's something in here. We don't know, like, get this out. Let's get it out. Okay, the turd's going to take too long. Okay, let's just, let's get this out in gas form. Let's get the air let's out get, Let's something air this place. Yes, let's air this place out. So with, uh, with everything I've had from on it i've never had that problem i mean for me personally that's one thing i can 100 percent vouch to and and on it doesn't pay me i mean you guys do not i've turned down paid sponsorships from supplement people because this is a product that 100 percent i feel better when i take it and i feel like my body digests it properly and that's 100 percent the truth that's what i tell people listening too um so the fact that you're here in a position to where, you know, there's some like elite level stuff going on here when it comes to like nutrition and you're constantly evolving too. That's what I, that's what I really like about, um, about on it is products that were good also continually change as you guys find a better way to even do the same type of product or a better additive to that product or a cleaner way to do that product. Um, today someone sent me a message and I've got AeroRest that we make. Um, it's called an Elevate AeroRest. And the longer I've had it out, the more I've made little changes based on what I experience with it in the field. Um, and I've done that even with like that release you're shooting, that Silverback. I've made changes to that over um, since the very first generation. So people are like, well, how do I know I'm getting the newest? You know, how do I know I'm getting the right generation? It's like, listen, I don't want to call stuff 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 because if it's available, it's it's at the level that I've adapted it to at the current time. It's going to be at the best level. I can't just keep telling you, you know, it's not software. I'm going to tell you it's a 4.1. Like if it's on there and it's available now, it's taken it's gotten all the changes that I have wanted to most do up to, to it. Date. And that's the cool thing about you guys is a lot of these supplements are evolving quite, you know, substantially since for three or four years now that I've had it, there's been a lot of changes. But I think with you being in that position gives credibility to like your freaking knowledge on some of this stuff is way over my head. Like I want to just sit I almost want to just sit in and listen to some of your conversations. Just jump in my fanny pack for a day. Yeah, I just need to be in that, and I could fit in it. I could get in that (laughs) freaking fanny pack for at least a day. Um, So with that said, I do want to jump into some of these questions that people had specific to health and stuff. But one of the things that you said that I want to touch on is you were talking about, I've never really heard it related to like Tai Chi, but you were talking about, 
having a meditation where there's movement involved, which mm-hmm. makes it easier for people that are fidgety and people that can't like just sit still and and kind of meditate in a totally quiet state. That's why some people like roll beads. Some people need certain types of tones, right, to mm-hmm. kind of help them get into that state. I think archery, it's I've never had it related to uh, Tai Chi, but maybe that's why maybe that's why I can focus on it because it involves a movement. Like I enjoy, I've told you, I said, you're going to get to the point, I think, like me, where I go to my range, I put on an album that I can veg out to, and I just get in this zone of just shooting and shooting and shooting. But the balance to that too, and one of the things that I think you may end up liking about hunting is there's places in the hunting world that are so quiet that you know, people ask me, well, how do you sit in a stand for 13 hours a day? Like, I know when it comes to whitetails, killing killing big whitetails, they're like ghosts. You know, they're, they're smart, and the more you're going in or you're coming out of their area, the more likely they are to see you doing that. And then as soon as they see you doing it, they're not going to be there anymore. They move to another place where they don't have to worry about that. So I'm I'm in, in in the daylight, out in the, you know, in in the dark, out in the dark. I'm not like a daylight mover. So a lot of people want to know, well, how, how can you sit in one tree stand for 13 hours? And some of it is mentally, I know that when the when it's rut, like when the best three to four weeks of whitetail season's coming up, I know every year, like come November, I sit in a stand 13 hours a day. I know it. But I also really like it because it's the quietest, you know, people say, well, what do you take up there to stay busy? Sometimes I don't want anything to do. Like, I like not being asked a question. Sometimes I like not thinking about work. I don't want to, you know, I like just sitting there and like hearing a woodpecker sit there and just the only thing I can hear is this woodpecker just freaking hammering down on this old log for 30 40 minutes or just sitting there and just hearing this and you're like what is that and then you realize oh it's a squirrel over there just like whittling away at this nut just like chewing it around getting it ready and you can you find you almost find like peace of mind in that serenity of quiet so it's you know I think there's going to be aspects like that once you're in the hunting realm there's going to be go, go, go times, um, and there's times where spotting and stalking and, you know, playing that chess board is really, really fun because of the challenge. But there's also times of quiet there, too. So, I mean, I would I'd encourage you to, to look at it that way. Like, don't go out and be like, well, I don't want to sit all day and I don't do anything. Like, look at it as like, this is my time to have a full day of collecting my thoughts, visualizing this shot waiting for this opportunity and have thought through it so many times that when that shot presents itself that, you know, we talked about this on your podcast yesterday, checkmate. Like as soon as you see it and it's coming that arrow, there's times where I'm like, I've thought about this deer coming down this trail, past this tree, stopping right there, how I feel on my drawback, coming into my peep, right where that pin's going to sit and how that shot feels coming through. I've thought about that so many times that, you know, it's almost like I've I've literally manifested this opportunity within my own mind. There's 
definitely been times where I've visualized something so many times to where I feel like I've actually manifested that flawless shot to happen because I had just rehearsed it so much that it was second nature. And that's going to be cool when you get to experience that. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that. All right. Let's jump in to some of these cool questions. Uh, so question one is going to be from, gosh, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Okumala. <laughs> I picked the worst one. Okumala Scenaria. You got to uh, say it like you know it. <laughs> you say it. <laughs> Okumalo Sonari. <laughs> he, he knew it. Okay, so he's saying, let's talk about whether being optimized is where your limit potential is at or pushed past it. Because if it's pushed past... Um, oh, it, I know this question. I love this question. Okay. I remember reading this yesterday. Pushed past the injury in time may be presented um, where it's the opposite for optimization. So here's the thing. There's a lot... I mean, we can... People go back and forth on what it means to be optimized, what it means to be trained properly, uh, largely because of what we think of when we think of periodization. So like if I have a competition coming up and fighting, I'm not going to just push myself the same the same duration, the same uh, effort and intensity throughout the camp. That's going to raise up as I'm getting into shape, coming into camp. It might peak in the middle of camp, and then I'll deload and back down before competition. That way I'm fresh for the competition, right? Yep. You don't want to blow my load in training camp and show up fried, right? So those kind of ideas happen when we think of optimization. But truly, when we're thinking opt be when you're the most optimized is when you're at your very best, peak performance, right? And that's not going to be where you're at in the gym leading up to that. We're at in the gym is going to have periods where, and I, I don't think of periodization the same way as I used to, where I have an eight week training block that varies. I optimize my body by having various training types throughout the week. So I may have a day where I crush myself with a 30 minute interval on the assault bike, or I may have a day where I do a ridiculous amount of heavy squats and then just mobility afterwards. But in between those days, I'll have yoga. I'll have a kettlebell or steel mace workout that's just there to open up my body. It's active recovery. Mm -hmm. So I'm still moving. I'm still burning calories. But really, the goal is different for each workout. And over the course of one week, that's going to change. And, and based on whatever needs I have to fill in those gaps, if I need more cardio for jiu-jitsu coming up, that may take over the focus. But in all those things... There isn't this, this idea of I'm going to be my best every time I step in the gym. That's damn near impossible, especially the older you get, mm -hmm. right? So just kind of knowing that, and then there comes this practice of listening to your body. It doesn't mean I, you know, on my off day, I'm not sitting on my ass laying around. I'm, it's, it's active recovery. That might mean going for a hike with my wife and kid. That might mean getting a swimming pool and swimming laps. Or that might mean just picking up a really light, 20 kilo kettlebell and just moving through some different positions, you know, mm -hmm. windmills, bootstrap squats, halos. Those are all excellent ways to open the body and fill in the gaps. You know, like if you're doing bodybuilding exercises or, you know, the big three in powerlifting, squat, bench, deadlift, there's a lot of gaps you got to fill in so that your body moves properly. Because mm -hmm. if you're training for hunting or anything where it's truly a primal movement pattern, that's not just push, pull, squat. That's push, pull, squat, hinge, 
rotate, lunge. It's it's all planes. Right? Yeah. I think if you do jujitsu or something where it is truly full body, you understand that. If you're packing out an animal and you have to hike on multiple planes <laughs> to get that weight back, it's a different type of workout than just hitting squats and lunges. Yeah. Right. So if you can fill in those gaps, especially with a lighter weight on your off days, now you don't have this weird, you know, motor neuron uh misfire where you're really strong in certain planes and you're not in others and then you throw your back out picking your kid up yep right so i think all of those can go back into how you recover how you improve blood flow and then opening up the body is just as important as making it tight yeah i agree and really i think when you talk about total body optimization it's there's just as much mobility here as there is power or possibly more. There's pro- there's pro- there's probably more mobility and functionality movements than there is power here. There I mean, should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you cut like here at the Onnit Academy, there's there is the classic like bench and squat racks. But honestly, there's not a lot of like dumbbells with the adjustable bench. It's used pretty rarely. I mean, when I every time I've been in there, there's way more stuff that's being used that has to do with mobility, functionality, and flexibility. Um, and I think all that, that's what's most important about being, you know, a full, well-rounded, optimized human being. Um, because I know guys that, I know guys that can squat five, 600 pounds. They do it three, four, five times a week. You take them on a eight mile elk walk and have them stepping over logs with no weight on like just carrying their bow and picking their legs up with a boot on rather than like their squat shoes they're like dude my hip flexors are freaking blown out it's like yeah man that's why that's why you know you're freaking busting out 40 sets of squats and i'm hiking around my state park with a 45 pound plate on my atlas pack and just rucking like trying to just ruck up and over things where i'm having to work my hip flexors in a fashion that's not just like perfectly up and down every time to where you can just maximize like as much weight as possible you're trying to do something where you're like you said you're it's all what's your weakest what's your weakest link you know you can do deadlifts a thousand times but if you've never really worked on your pelvic stability next thing you know you throw your backpack on you throw your whole freaking back out you know from like slinging three your laptop around the wrong way onto your onto your back so i think for at least from the academy's point of view you know the optimization is really looking at an entire picture and trying to trying to create this like very very well-rounded i actually have um in one of my archery seminars i talk about um what i call the archery trifecta and what i tell people is in order to be an elite level and a super high level athlete there's three pieces of this pie that have to have balance one is the physical then there's the mechanical and then there's the mental so guys that just buy new gear all the time and have this mechanical side of their 
of their pie that is 80% mechanical. They have the newest release, the newest bow, the newest arrows, all this stuff. But yet they have this little sliver of pie that comes to the actual um, training, you know, the physical preparation or the training um, and the technical side. This pie is really small. That's that's a weak link. But then all of a sudden on the mental side, if you've never done anything or never do anything where you're on the mental side and you have to learn how to shoot with pressure, you have to learn how to literally go through this process and this routine with a lot of adrenaline or a lot of excitement. If you've never worked on that and that piece of your pie is just this teeny little sliver where it's there, but you've never like grown it and built it to where it has balance with those other three pieces, then that is where you're going to fail a hundred percent. There's guys that, you know, there's guys that do the mental side a ton. They do the physical and the training side a ton, but they have no idea how to work on their equipment. And there's, there are pros that have limitations to how well they're going to do because literally their equipment is not built right for them. You know, it'd be like no different than if me and you, had the best golf instructor in the world mentally we're tough as athletes we have the best golf instructor but then we have to go play with clubs that are three inches too short for us like our mechanics are not going to function properly with that equipment but the mass majority of the time people put all the thoughts into like almost into like the gadgety parts you know people want to people want to buy the new freaking workout bike people want to buy the new freaking total gym people want to buy the solo total flex gym. <laughs> <laughs> people want to buy the solo flex but they don't want to they don't want to round out the the pie you know and i think when it comes to optimization that's what you have to do you have to you have to be fully rounded i mean you agree yeah it's all of it it's diet it's 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 everything that goes into that you know you know you can see i'm looking at you right now when people are very clean in their lifestyle, like just their skin and their their complexion is different. You know, when I look at people, am I glowing right now? You're, you are. You actually oh, do. Fuck. I don't know if it's a lighting, but yeah. Um, and I've noticed that about myself too. When I get run down, I look in the mirror and I'm like, man, I don't have my normal color. You know, you start to feel like I think your skin is like an external painting of what's going on on the inside. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, you, you look at yourself and if you really, if you don't look healthy on the outside, if your hair, I mean, like I see some people, I'm like, like their hair looks like it's struggling to grow right now. It looks like, <laughs> it looks like when I plant corn in Iowa and I don't fertilize it, it's like, yeah, there's corn stalks, but there's no corn on it. Right. I mean, it's, it's all relative. You have to, you have, just because you plant the seed, you at that point you have to you have to nourish it you have to take care of it you have to water it and you have to make sure the nutrients are there otherwise it's just going to grow a stick it's mm -hmm. you know it's not going to flower you know you look at freaking fruit trees you can have the best apple orchard ever but if it's a drought it's not going to flower it's not going to produce fruit i mean it, you have to nurture it so all right there's your answer um, next question here is from Hargo734. Odd question. I freaking hate swallowing pills. Got a phobia somehow on pills and haven't been able to shake it. 
can I crush up the TPC packets and take them that way? Um, um, if capsules, can I pour them into water? And there's actually other people that have supported that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Really, it's just a matter of gut tolerability. So if it gives you the runs or something like that, it might be a little easier to, to blend that in into a smoothie where you can make it a bit more palatable. Uh, but outside of that, there's absolutely no issues there. Yeah, I think um, we're not using like time release coatings and any of that type of shit. So everything that's going in is going to get right into the bloodstream as it is. Crushing it, make it however you got to make it easier on yourself. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of times, like in my backpack, I always travel right here. I know it, I know it'll be in here, but in my backpack, I always have this. I'm kind of I'm I'm environmentally friendly because I have the same exact Ziploc bag now for probably a year. But in my Ziploc bag, that's I, reduce, reuse, recycle <laughs> that in a nutshell, <laughs> right there. Yeah, I've got uh, these new protein bites are freaking. They're like crack. They're so, crack. Yeah, they're crack. But I've got my day packs and my night packs. I've got the protein bites and I've got Alpha Brains. That's what I travel with all the time when I'm on the road. Um, and sometimes because it's in my backpack that you know guys cram their crap on top of my my backpack in the overheads, sometimes my pills are just smashed. So I just kind of sprinkle those spirulina ones. They, they always bust apart. So I'll just like sprinkle them on the top of my oatmeal and just kind of go with it. Um, those little ninja. I don't know that that would work with like the new B complex we've added in. That <laughs> yeah. might be, that it might won't. be a different flavor combination. But I think, um, if you're going to make like a smoothie or something and you have a pill phobia, you could throw those things into a Vitamix or a Ninja blender and just blend no them doubt. up. Yeah. I no mean, doubt. especially if you have, you know, if you do something with like whole grain, like blueberries or raspberries or something that has, our, yeah, the power food active that we have and power food vitality, it's, it's sweetened with stevia, you know, it, you're going to have, it's going to take some of the edge off, Yep. you know, no matter what, or yeah. even your optimized coffee. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty particular about how I like my coffee, but <laughs> it's I think with a shake, if you got yeah. some fat and protein and good stuff in there and some sweetness, you'll be all right. Yeah. Don't be afraid to blend them up. And some of, some of, um, what's nice about the TPC packs is essentially the TPC packs is a breakdown. When you go on, on it and you see all the different pill canisters, you know, you'll see like new mood, you'll see alpha brain, you'll see two different types of shroom techs. You'll see the fish oil or the krill oil, then you'll see this, you know, the spirulina. Essentially, the the day packs and the evening packs are broken to where the day packs are going to have one of each of those, and then it's also going to have the shroom tech to give you a kick throughout the day. But then the shroom tech's pretty much replaced with new mood uh, for the evening side of things. I mean, is that pretty close? Yeah, there's some. I think I think we have shroom tech immune. Right. In one of those or two of those shroom tech sports in the in the day pack, I think. So it varies. And we're that's one that's always changing. So yep. like I said, we just came out with our B complex. That's been added to the day oh, pack did as it? far as I'm my okay. understanding is. Yeah, and that's not gonna taste great, you know, blended, but but um, you know, those that's one of those things as we continue to create and I work I get to work with product development here, which is I'm a fucking kid in a candy store. Yeah, it's awesome. That's the fun you know, creating new stuff. So we're definitely that's one that's uh kind of an evergreen you know always lit always getting new stuff added to it and it's just like you said it's whatever it ain't version 1.0 or 1.7 or 2.0 it's just the best version we have yep um well and some of those if you can don't be afraid to open the canisters on the shroom techs and stuff there are little clear gel caps so you can easily 
open those and dump them. I'm definitely not a pill phobia man. <laughs> no, I take a I, shot glass full. My wife and I every morning and every evening. I can I can throw those down without water. <laughs> like I just get to the point where I just slosh a bunch of spit around in my mouth and just chuck that thing in there and one swallow, it's all over with. I'm I'm TPC'd for the day, for half the day anyway. All right, next question here is from uh, Native Fanatic. Nutrients, supplements, and aging. Um, hope to s- hope that you can shed some light on that. And I mean, I think we touched we touched a lot on that. Um, just in what I made the comment about, you know, I feel like your exterior is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. I feel like when I'm glowing on the outside, I know that I'm supplementing the correct way. And the other thing too is, um, I'll let you add on this, but when you're taking the right types of pills and when the, when the vitamins or nutrients that you're taking is actually broke down to a state where you're able to absorb properly, you know, if you're like pissing Pennzoil or like antifreeze in the, you know, and it's like a neon knock on green or yellow it that's vitamins you know that's that you can't do it but what i found with these is you know i have some color to my urine but it's not like like i don't feel like i'm it's not electric i'm not passing it all through so you don't have really expensive piss that's that's a, (laughs) a great somebody asked me last night on facebook live like can you take too many supplements and it's like well if they're all good for you the answer is no, technically. But my answer is always yes, because supplements cost fucking money. Yeah. Right? And you don't want really expensive urine. Mm-hmm. Right? So thankfully, we have very, very bioavailable, easily easy, easily uh, assimilated products. But the truth is, you know, you kind of want to fine tune what's necessary for you. Now, one thing that I always mention is there's no supplement that replaces a shitty diet. So you want nutrient-dense foods. And I'm not talking about just kale and spinach and broccoli. That's all good from the plant side. But if we're all meat eaters here, organ meat is the most nutrient-dense food on the planet. And about half the population cannot take um, plant-based nutrients and convert them into the usable form. So this includes my wife and I. We can't take omega-3 fatty acids from chia seeds or flax seeds and take it from ALA to DHA and EPA. The usable forms our body and brain needs. Yeah. That means I have to get it from fish oil, from fish or krill, and and egg yolks and things like that. It, same thing goes for vitamin A. I can't take carrots and sweet potatoes and get vitamin A that way. I have to get it from egg yolk. I have to get it from beef liver. And if I do that, I'm good, right? Yeah. So you want to cover those bases through diet and then supplement where needed, right? So yeah. if I need, if I want a cognitive boost, it's going to be alpha brain. If I need to sleep better, it might be melatonin and new mood or, or any other sleep products outside of on it, you know, whatever works for you. And if you're not sure, then something like TPC, which is going to cover most of the bases will help with that. Yeah. As far as aging is concerned, I was just talking with you about our buddy, Ben Greenfield, who did this test through a company called Tello years that tests telomere length. Yeah. This is amazing. And this is um, really cool. basically it's just a finger prick test. They mail to you and they measure the telomeres, which you can Google that. I don't want to dive too much into it. It's with that end cap of the DNA that basically shortens like a fuse throughout your lifetime. And long story short, they can tell your biological age versus your chronological age. And so whatever that is, my number was way higher than I thought it would be. Um, There are ways you can fix that. And one of the greatest tools ever, the best dietary amendment is to stop eating. Fasting and intermittent fasting have more science backing that than any other dietary protocol. 
along with exercise and a clean diet. But I mean, if you take a break for a 24 hour fast or you intermittent fast in a 16 hour window every night where you're not eating for 16 hours and you're eating for eight hours only each day. Mm-hmm. That builds up over time. And there's a ton of science on uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who's been on Rogan's show many times, foundmyfitness.com. She's interviewed a ton of these guys that are right on the cutting edge of this, Dr. Sachin Panda, Dr. Walter Longo. And uh, there's a great book, if people are interested, called uh, The Complete Guide to Fasting by Dr. Jason Fung and Jimmy Moore. And that's, you know, I've done, just finished a five-day water fast out in Sedona, uh, I do intermittent fasting like you do yep. most days. And I think that's been a big shift in how I feel, how I operate from a cognitive standpoint. Systemic inflammation's gone down. My joints don't hurt, even having old beat-up joints. Yeah, and even it, like it impacts stomach health and bloating. You know, I've, I've always struggled with that. And one of the questions people asked was, like, what is the optimum amount of protein intake, you know, for people that are working out? Um you know, when I tried to base how I ate or how many times a day I ate based on like what you're going to see in Muscle Fitness Magazine, where, you know, they try to tell you, as much as I tried to do that, it's like I feel, and as much as the world tells you to have this big breakfast, I feel like I'm ready to eat later in the morning after my workout. In the mornings, I like to. I like to consume fluids. I mean, I I like to drink things early. And when it comes to my eating, sometimes I don't eat till 10, 30, or 11 in the morning. And then, you know, my last meal is going to be by 7, 6, or 7 at night. And I feel comfortable. I legitimately feel comfortable having three very rounded meals in that short period of time. I feel better. And I feel like um, I feel like everyone trying to tell me I have to eat five times a day, or tell me that I have to eat breakfast first thing in the day to get my metabolism going. I think that's what I need to do to get my metabolism going is hydrate and get my workout going. Yeah, there's no doubt, you know, and that's an old myth. I think I, I talked about this on Rogan's where, you know, this eat six six meals a day shit is basically that's a bodybuilder diet. And it works for bodybuilders because they're trying to grow at a rapid rate. So it's I, I equate it to the baby diet. Mm-hmm. Your baby needs to eat every fucking two hours, right? Yeah. So if you want to grow like that and you're trying to put on, you know, enormous amounts of size, then, yeah, that's important to, you know, make those meals smaller, more digestible, and, and cram the protein down. For a lot of people, we need far less protein than we think we do. You know, and I noticed this first when I did a ketogenic diet, I was having 80 grams or less of protein a day and getting way stronger. Now, ketones are anti-catabolic, so there's a synergy there. But at the same time, you know, an easy check, you know, and Paul check, I didn't mean to, no pun intended. Paul check has a great book called How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. It's one of the first books I got that got me into health and wellness. And in that, there's a whole section on studying your, your shit. So you can look at your poop. And if it's coming out hard as a rock, you know, pellets mm-hmm. like a rabbit would eat, you know, like a bodybuilder poop, mm-hmm. your protein's too high. You need to yeah. increase your fats. You need to make that move. You need to increase fiber, mm-hmm. right? And if it's coming out like sludge, maybe you need a little bit more protein. So there's some checks and balances in that where you can really find, fine-tune without having to spend 400 bucks on a gut test. Yeah. And it's fairly fairly easy. But that all all these things circle back to listening to the body. Yeah. How do I feel after I eat that meal? Do well, I fall flat is, on my face, you know? So much of it has to do with what's in the middle. 
the stomach. Mm -hmm. Like the stomach is telling a lot more tales than what people give it credit for. You know, how that stomach's able to process what is going into the very center of your body is something that's overlooked a lot. I mean, I think, I think more people thinking about how they feel, that's one thing that sucks when people have such a, a junky diet, they don't really know that they actually feel bad. That's just how they feel. This is always there. It's like wearing a weight vest your whole life. Yep. You don't know until you've taken it off. Yeah. And then once you take it off and you realize, you know, I was that way with um, my tolerance to sugar because I've never, my body doesn't respond well to sugar. So I actually don't truly like things that are sweet. That's one thing that's tough for me is like stevia is almost too sweet for me. Like if I need a sweetener, it's almost too much because I don't actually like the taste of sugar. I like to level out something that's bitter you're a savory guy yeah but i'm not uh i'm not necessarily a, a sugary person and actually i think one of the reasons why i like those little protein bites so much is because i taste the fat more than i taste you know any of the the sugars that are in there like even the chocolate i taste like the coconut i t taste the coconut oil like i t i i taste the fat more than I, I taste, taste the nuts. Yeah, I taste those nuts uh, <laughs> more more than the ch more than the chocolate, and uh, but I think people that um, have never just gave it a try and never just said, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna cut my sugar. I'm gonna literally eliminate sugar for one week and see how I feel. The first few days you're not gonna feel that good, but then all of a sudden you're gonna realize, holy cow, this is like, now I understand what it's like to wake up and feel like. Ugh! Versus like, oh, God, it's another day. How do I get going? Let me crack open a Red Bull. Maybe if I grab a freaking Vente, put some sugar in. Like, quad I'll be, shot, yeah, yeah. And then by noon, I always use this in a, my archery seminars because we always talk about, um, I save it intentionally to talk about nutrition at the second half of the first day. And I always do it immediately following lunch. Because most people just freaking gorge themselves out. And a lot of times they eat like, when I watch them eat, they eat the crappiest things of what's available. And then they're, you know, like I'm starting to do the thing. Subway sandwich yeah, with and also, yeah, yeah. Whereas I'm like taking the foot long and like throwing the whole bottom of the bun away and like trying to, you know, hey, throwing those peppers away, man. Can I have those? <laughs> Can I have your tomatoes? Um, but then after I'm, teaching the class for a little while i look out there and you know you see these people that are just fighting it they're like their eyes are going down i mean they're like their posture's changing and then i'm like all right who feels tired right now and can barely stay awake and people then people are like you know not me and they kind of perk up and i said the reason you're feeling that way right now i said it's been 45 minutes since we had lunch I'm like, this is a reaction to how your body is responding to what you just put in it. If you went over and you freaking crushed those chocolate chip cookies and you pounded four of them, you know, you're suffering the negative aspects of an, of an insulin spike right now. You're, you know, you got a high from it. Now you're crashing. So your only way to get out of this crash is probably to have your coffee probably to grab a monster, probably to grab a Red Bull. Like that's that's what you want to do, but you're in this class and you can't. So now you're just, you're trying to barely stay awake. And I said, the importance of this is 
this is the second half to an archery tournament. If this is a real archery day, you just had lunch break. If what you just chose to eat was the same as what you ate right now at this seminar, how do your scorecards look? Because there's a lot of people where they're like, man, I just had this one slump, and if I wouldn't have had that slump, bro, I would have freaking, I would have been on the podium. And it's like, okay, let me tell you, that correlation is that is when you crashed because you didn't hydrate and have nutrients evenly throughout this entire competition. You spiked, so then you bombed. Like those two... You know, for every action, there's a reaction. As soon as you spike that, you're going to bomb at the same time, you know, or immediately following. That's the balance. So then people are like, oh, yeah, okay, I start to get it. I'm like, okay, that's why when I shot, you know, people would see me eating frozen peas. They would see me freaking nibbling a little piece of beef jerky every two targets. That's why I'm, you know, that's why I'd go through three or four water bottles because, Every target, I would either nibble on something small or I would drink water. And when it came to lunch, a lot of times what the tournaments are serving for food is not a good option for performance in a tournament. You know, you don't, you know, McGregor and and uh, freaking uh, Mayweather, they're not going to, like, have to have the Caesars buffet meal. <laughs> like, you know, they're not going to have to choose on either the the hot dog or the freaking fried chicken patty in the line. Like, they're going to eat, they're going to consume good, clean food so that they're able to, to kind of keep the cruise control going on how they feel. So you have to be smart like that. It's the same exact thing. Well, we got to wrap this thing up, dude. Well, shit. Let me just give one more. Yeah, if I can fucking yeah. Throw jump in there. One plug. Jump in. Yeah, it's heck for, yeah. Uh, plug away. Aubrey Marcus, CEO on it, just just finished his glorious book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. I've it's talked about it. Yeah. It's pre-order right now. Ooh. We dive into how to master a 24-hour cycle, which includes a lot of the topics we cover today, best time to take supplements, best way to create uh, an optimized food schedule, what that looks like, best practices for when you're going to drink alcohol or or cannabis or whatever you're ta- you know whatever you use to tune mm-hmm. in and tune out um optimize sex optimize sleep you name it so you can figure out the, how to master that 24-hour cycle and repeat that each day and make these little changes to every day and improve each I, day of your life i'm not a good reader um i've you know i just you're still on chapter one no i'm not i'm not <laughs> i i literally i schedule times where i know i can read and when i need to like you know, some days instead of having a podcast when I'm doing a, you know, when I'm biking or whatever, I'll just, you know, go and jump on that spin cycle for an hour and just read that book. And, you know, and then if I, if I start to get to the point where I'm like, I feel like I'm reading too much because I'm not a reader, um, then I'll throw on a podcast and have a little disruption. But, you know, it's just like chip away at it. Don't feel like, I know people are like, I can never read a book, man. I just, Audible. I, yeah. Audible.com. Listen in your car on the morning commute, on the ride home, without your kids screaming in the background. That's my that's my 45 minutes. If I'm on an airplane flight, I throw on Audible, and I'll just grind through a book that way. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great tip. But don't be afraid to chip away at it. I'm about 30 to 40% through it, and I've already told you, 
literally chapter one changed my daily routine. Chapter one, I changed, even with as in tune as I felt like I was, there were things I learned in chapter one about how I'm starting my day to where I'm not starting it as best as I possibly could to, you know, literally have an energetic and positive day. So um, it's definitely a good book. Um, real quick, what was the one you talked about for Flow State? Because I actually want to read that one. Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. It's absolutely excellent. Okay. And uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna get yeah, that one. You'll love that. Yeah, that one will be dope. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the heck out of everyone out there. And uh, get on it, suckers. <laughs> All right, we gotta hit stop here. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com.